Welcome to the California Work Comp Report, a podcast hosted by Arun Kroll and Claire Williams, featuring Dr. John Alchemy. Hello, and welcome to the California Work Comp Report podcast. Today is April 14th, 2015, and I'm pleased to announce that we have a guest today, along with your host, Dr. John Alchemy. Hello, Dr. Athanasius, and welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, thanks for joining us. So, Dr. Athanasius, um, tell me a little bit and and the uh, listeners where you did your training as a spine doctor and how long you've been doing these exams. So, uh, I went to medical school in Philadelphia and uh, went on and did my residency in New Jersey at Monmouth Medical Center where they did a a high amount of spine surgeries, and then I went on and did a subspecialty training after completing my orthopedic training in spine surgery specifically uh, for management of uh, neck pain, mid-back pain, and lower back pain at Stanford Medical Center. Uh, And uh, there, we spent a year focusing on the treatment of that disease, uh, both non-surgical and surgical treatment patterns and uh, ways of treating pathology and pain related uh, to the back. And so, if, so in addition to all this training that you've done, what um, what additional certifications uh, do you have as well that kind of sets you apart from maybe just a general orthopedist who might treat some primary back pain? So uh, I am a member of the National American Spine Society uh, or North American Spine Society. I'm a member of the Society for Lateral uh, Access Surgeons. Uh, I also uh, have a um, uh, affiliations with the Cervical Spine Society. Uh, so those are the, the certifications that I belong to, and um, that allows me to offer a more in-depth look and treatment uh, for neck and back disease. Great. Mm. And so as a spine surgeon, what does a typical exam look like? You know, how is, how is it different from a primary treating physician's exam? So it's a little bit different because we look at the exam from an aspect of what can we, what we, can we treat? Is there something that we can fix? Is there something that's objective that I can treat? Not mm-hmm. necessarily from a surgical perspective, but more of something that is a structural cause that I can give an answer to, and we can more reliably predict the outcome for the patient. Mm-hmm. So that guides the treatment and the physical examination, mm-hmm. depending on if the patient comes in with neck pain, mid-back pain, or lower back pain. Right. And it is more specific uh, in terms of the evaluation of the motion at those particular areas mm-hmm. uh, and how that motion relates to a patient's disability. Mm-hmm. and how the neck pain or lower back pain or mid-thoracic pain, which is the mid-back, mm-hmm. uh, is related to the upper or lower extremities. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, we went to great detail and depth to divide the exam in the extremities, uh, sensory aspect, a mm-hmm. reflex aspect, and also a motor or strength aspect. And we divide those into what we call dermatones, which is how nerves uh, map throughout the body and give sensation, and myotones, which is how the nerves uh, connect to different muscles within the body and allow us to give us a specific idea of where is the uh, disease or pain coming from 
and what nerves specifically in the spine may be related to that pain or for uh, or that disability. Oh, very comprehensive. Yes. So tried. I, I have a I have a question for you then. Um, so for work comp, people just aren't showing up at the orthopedic spine experts saying I lifted a box this afternoon and my back is sore. So so you know you're you're a referral source. You're the expert. So when a primary treating doctor sends a case to you. Why would they be doing that? What kind of treatment may they have received before you get a chance to get your hands on them and talk to them? Sure, sure. So generally before people come to see me, uh, especially um, within the workman comp world, uh, the patient has been seen by a doctor or a nurse practitioner or um, or a physician assistant who has treated their back pain. Um, they have maybe ordered some x-rays. Maybe they have given the patients a short course of physical therapy or a short course of anti-inflammatories. And for um, one reason or another, they feel that the patient needs a more depth look and a more broad or actually a more specific look at the reason for the patient's pain. They may have questions about if the patient is safe to go back to work. Uh, Is there further treatment that is necessary? Do I think that they would benefit from a different type of physical therapy or some different type of medication? And that's the reason that they generally get referred to me. Great, great. So the next question I have after listening to that then, and and patients come in all the time saying, well, you know, I need an MRI, or do I need an MRI? Can can you talk to us a little bit about how you view the MRI as a diagnostic tool and how essential it is to, to really helping give an opinion as an expert? Okay. So... Uh, the MRI is very helpful, specifically if a patient comes in and has had prolonged back pain uh, for uh, greater than, you know, six months, has had x-rays which show, you know, uh, possible disease, or if, even if they have evidence of maybe no disease. Um, and specifically if the patient has extremity signs, for instance, if they say they have pain that starts in their neck and radiates to their thumb, then we think about, uh, something that may be occurring within the neck, possibly at the C5, C6 level. You can see on x-rays possible evidence of that disease, but the MRI gives us a very clear, specific look at the nervous structures and the way that the nervous structures are affected. Additionally, if someone comes in with lumbar disease, and say somebody um, did not have back pain ever before, they bent down and they felt a pop in their back, and slowly over time they just started to develop weakness within their legs. An X-ray would not necessarily show a herniated disc. They would not necessarily show for the patient's leg pain. And specifically, the patient starts to develop a deficit or weakness. An MRI gives us a very specific look at that uh, possibility of disease being uh, from the spine and possibly from a herniated disc that would not be evident on X-ray, especially in a younger individual that does not have disease that's clearly seen on X-ray. X-ray gives us a good uh, idea of what's going on in the bones. And generally, X-rays require a certain length of time that the disease has progressed uh, before you can see changes on the X-ray. MRI allows us to see the soft tissue structures, including the nerves, the discs, and the um, joints, uh, which an X-ray does not give us uh, as good of a look at. Great. 
And outside of MRI and X-ray, what else do you have to help you to decide whether or not someone's going to benefit from surgery? So uh, physical examination is a very important part of of the evaluation of the patient. And it's not only the physical examination in terms of touching the patient and seeing strength of the range of motion in the back or the lower extremity. The physical examination starts from the moment that I walk in to see the patient. Uh, uh, Spine surgery is much different than other types of surgery, for instance, in orthopedics, such as, you know, uh, a knee orthoplasty, which is a total knee, or, Mm -hmm. you know, or a hip orthoplasty. Just because someone has arthritis in their back, it does not mean that they would benefit from a surgical procedure or a fusion. A a person needs to have a constellation of symptoms. Additionally, they need to have a almost a mindset and an appropriate mindset in which, you know, they will be helped from this possibility of surgery. Mm. Um, It has been shown in multiple studies that, you know, the same, if you look at x-rays or MRIs across the board with a certain level of degenerative disease, different people will experience this pain and this disease in a different way. Uh, pain is, is, you know, uh, a product of a disease somewhere in the spine, for instance, that uh, signal is sent to the brain and the brain decides how it's going to interpret that signal. Uh, research has shown that, for instance, somebody that has a high level of depression will experience more back pain given the same amount of disease seen on x-ray or MRI than somebody that does not suffer from depression. So in that case, for instance, it may be more appropriate to, yes, treat the patient's back pain, not by surgical means, but how, and also get that patient help from a different modality, such as seeing a, a psychologist or psychiatrist for treatment of their depressive disorder. Right. So the physical examination is, you know, starts when the patient walks in the room and and observation of the patient and listening to the patient's story specifically and then moves on to actually looking at the patient's back, neck, and extremities, even the way that they move and they walk and and addressing that with patient's story their main complaint, and what the doctor or surgeon thinks can help them. Mm -hmm. So with people's different experiences of pain, you know, post-operation, how do you go about determining their functional limitations, especially for something like returning to work? Sure, sure. So, you know, there's different types of disease of uh, procedures that are done. Um, they can be purely soft tissue uh, disease, uh, procedures such as a microdiscectomy or such as a um, disease for spinal or a, a procedure to treat spinal stenosis. These are uh, purely soft tissue uh, procedures with some small amount of bony procedure. And uh, theoretically, there should be no destabilization of the spine. So the way for these small procedures that I look at the patient's appropriateness to go back to work and their ability to function and um, go back to the work community is how far are they out from surgery uh, and how are they doing in terms of decreasing their requirement for pain medication. Uh, For instance, we know that a a patient that has a microdisectomy should be able to return to work at around six-week mark. And even there was research done at Stanford that shows that these patients theoretically could go back to work after a week with no increased risk of reherniation, which is a big fear with a microdiscectomy or a removal of some part of the disc. Generally, for me, I allow my patients to 
uh, work themselves down from their pain medication requirement and allow them to be comfortable doing their activities of daily living, and then I get them back to work, which is generally for those procedures around the six-week mark. For a fusion procedure, I I use, in addition to uh, what I just spoke about, I look at x-rays. I look at when, uh, how the hardware looks. Uh, does fusion appear to be taking place, for instance, in the neck or in the lower back? And I usually get them started to partial work and get them back to work around the three-month mark to six-month mark, depending on the individual procedure and patient. So you've talked about average healing times and getting people back to work and, and things like that. It's all really great stuff. Um, I, I guess the last question I have is, when someone goes to see a spine expert or a back expert and considering maybe having surgery, what kind of things could you tell our listeners that maybe they should ask of any expert that they're going to see? What what do they really need to know and walk away from that appointment with in their minds? What needs to be answered for them? I think some of the important questions that need to be answered before they walk out of or or to make an appropriate decision or to help their own care is what is the disease that they have? Is that clearly understood? Uh, the next step is what uh, treatments are offered in, in totality. So not only operative treatment, but they should talk about all non-operative treatment that is also possible. And the next step is what is the chances that these non-operative or operative treatments are going to improve their symptoms and get them back to where they need to be. I think the understanding of the pathology, the disease, their alternative treatments and, uh, and recommended treatments and the, you know, the, uh, you know, the uh, chance that there's going to be improvement after all of these treatments are done needs to be clearly understood. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. But if there are any insurance adjusters or patients interested in contacting you, Dr. Athanasius, how could they go about doing that? So they can contact uh, our office directly at 707-546-1922. And they can just ask to uh, speak to my medical assistant or they can um, just schedule an appointment to see me. Uh, Most of my appointments, the first appointment is 45 minutes, and then following appointment, depending on the patient, can be uh, 15 to 30 minutes. Uh, Additionally, if they want more information regarding our office or about me, uh, they can go to sroortho.com. Sroortho.com. Great. Correct. Well, thank you so much for joining us to the California Work Comp Report. Again, today is April 14, 2015. And for more information on California workers' comp topics, please visit the blog at rate-fast.com. Dr. Alchemy, Dr. Athanasius, thank you. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the California Work Comp Report. We look forward to next week and continuing our discussion of work comp claims in California. Questions or comments? Got a great workers' compensation story to share? Find us on Twitter at RateFast or at Rate-Fast.com.